0: Uh, all these are volunteers who give their time and energy to put together um, worship moments like this that really draw us in. Ben, thank you, and uh, worship team, thank you guys very much. Hey, you've met us uh, here on week five of eight on a series we call Arriving, and if you've been here before, you know the basic gist of this, and that is this idea that we were made for more than what we currently experience and that there's some yearning within inside all of us that wants more. All right, we think there can be a better way to relate to our spouse in marriage. We think there can be a, a better way to connect to God spiritually. We think there can be a better way to handle relationships, and we hope that there certainly is. And so we live this life over here, but we kind of know and we kind of hope that there's something better better over here. It's an Old Testament word called shalom. It means fullness, wholeness, or completeness that describes that feeling that we get and that we have. And so what we've been talking about now for four weeks and now into week five is this whole idea of shalom and how it works and what it means. And here's what we said at the beginning of this whole concept of shalom. We We defined shalom or described it maybe this way, that shalom in its simplest form is everything being the way it's supposed to be. If you can imagine what the ideal world would look like, everything being the way that, in particular, God created it to be, everything in your relationships being the way it's supposed to be, everything in your self-confidence being the way it's supposed to be, rightly placed in the God who made you, rightly placed in that area, everything in your, your marriage and your finances, and everything being the way that God would intend it to be if there was no problems at all in the world. It's so difficult to imagine that because here's what we know, that... As soon as God created uh, Adam and Eve, and the Bible teaches us that after God created, then sin entered the world, and thus entered this problem that we have in reaching or achieving shalom or fullness. And, and we talked about this reality that, that sin is a reality that we need to name and identify, and actually can be a grace of God to talk about sin in a very particular way. Because what we know about sin is that sin will always deliver Uh, always promise a quick access to Shalom but never deliver it. And if we call sin, sin, then it can actually help us understand why we're not experiencing peace in certain parts of our life. It can help us understand why our marriage isn't quite the way we want it to be. It can help us understand why things at work may not be going the way they should be going. It can help us understand why we're insecure and why we're scared or fearful of people around us and what they think about the way that we look or the way that we dress. If we can actually identify sin and call it what it is, it can help us understand why we're distant from feeling fulfilled and feeling peaceful and feeling At home. So it is a gift of God to to understand calling sin sin. And what what happens is sin draws us away from fullness and and peace. And we kind of want to climb and claw our way back there. And what we said last week is that there's really only one way to connect with God because we asked this question how in the world do we connect with God after sin entered the world? How do we connect with God to find peace? How does that work? Um, and we said last week there's really only one way, and we talked in Isaiah chapter 54 about the Isaiah, prophet Isaiah saying that by his wounds you have been healed. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, that Jesus' sacrifice of, of death on the cross brought us peace. That word shalom is actually used. That is the concept that's being used. And in Hebrews 10, we, we there talk about the idea the author of Hebrews is writing that That uh, it is through his blood that we now have confidence to enter the most holy place and kind of re-enter intimacy with God. And the how in the world do we connect with God. And so if last week was kind of philosophical, if last week was let's get our mind around the fact that Jesus is the way, the only way in fact to connect with God this week, I want to press into that a little bit further. Because connecting with God is not just about um, believing something in your mind. Connecting with God is not just about being able to sign a doctrinal statement and saying, yep, these are my beliefs. That connecting with God and finding shalom is not just about a mental assent to something. In fact, it has a whole lot more to do with how in the world do we live out our day-to-day-to-day-to-day lives. Now, let me take you back a few minutes to the strange question I had you ask one another, or the strange things that I asked you to say to one another when we did the stand and greet a few minutes ago. Uh, Did anyone share an exotic food or that which you most look forward to at Thanksgiving? Did anyone actually do that? All right, 14 of you did that, super. All right, so let's just kind of go down the list quick. Um, How many of you look forward to stuffing? Whoa, okay, we have the stuffing crowd over here. They are quick to respond to that one. All right, Um, how many of you are dessert people? I mean, the dessert thing is coming. Yeah, yeah, a lot of dessert, okay. Um, uh, how many of you are are the turkey thing? I mean, the turkey is it. What you're looking for is a turkey, all right. Um, how about vegetables? Uh-huh, uh-huh. Some of you guys are actually there, all right. So uh, we have all kinds of... How about um, bread, all right, bread and kind of the carbs thing, all right. There we got the bread people, all right. That's good. We got all kinds of things. And isn't it interesting that we... Um, so here, here's what our family did. We ran a 5K early in the morning so we can justify gluttony later in the in the day, all right? So we, we, we run early, and we enjoyed that event, and then we, we eat later. And as you run, and as you get through that deal, and you're, you're burning calories, and you're, you're ready to eat even more, you start to get hungry, and you start to imagine, and you can almost taste what it's going to be like, right? I mean, you know the place you're going to go for lunch, and either that's really good or really bad that you're going to go there, okay? Um, and you hope, like, like I hoped after a while when I would visit my grandparents in Connecticut, I hoped that my grandma would not serve that Jello mold salad, all right, that had, I think I told you guys about that before, it had everything in it, and it was, it was a mix of like coleslaw in there and nuts and raisins and all kinds of textures that don't belong together We're were in that, and uh, you just kind of hope that that doesn't get served uh, at, a, at our Thanksgiving meal. But So there's, there begins to develop this taste within us of, man, I can't wait, and this is what it's going to be like. And then the, the, the personal limits have to come into play, like, okay, how much should I really eat here? Right? It becomes a, a matter of serving. And in truth, if we're, if we're honest about uh, kind of what's at the crux of maybe, maybe even why you're here this morning or why you even are in church in general, we all have a similar thirsting or hunger to connect with God, don't we? We all have a similar appetite to say, if I can, the very best thought I can conceive of has got to have been put there by someone greater than me, and so there has to be something out there. I'm searching for something, and my heart and my being and my kind of bones in, my, in the, the most inner part of me is hungering for, is thirsting for something. I want to connect to a God. The psalmist David in Psalm 42 writes it this way, that my, my heart yearns for you, O God. My soul longs for you like the deer pants for streams of living water. So I too go in my tree stand to try to kill the deer as it's coming by the streams of living water. It doesn't quite finish that way. But the idea is that as the deer is thirsting for, David writes, so my soul thirsts for you and longs for you. And, and isn't it true that we want to kind of, we're thirsting and longing and hungering for a connection to God? We we just want that, not unlike we think about our our turkey or our stuffing, our bread, our dessert, our vegetables, whatever we think about. That's just kind of how we're wired up. And so the question is now, not just philosophically, how do I connect with God, but really just practically, day by day by day, how in the world do I connect with God? Is it really possible that I can experience shalom or fullness? And I want to talk about that today, all right? So in order to get there, though, I just want to take a moment to kind of draw down on um, some ways that we commonly pursue that. Appetite for God that can be misplaced. In other words, I think there are just some default behaviors that we tend to have um, as we think about how do I connect to God, and some things that we can um, miss, some paths we can mistakenly go down. Some of these, um, the comments I'm about to make may bite a little bit, may sting a little bit, but I hope they do that in the right way, in the loving, um, helpful way, not in a, in a critical way. But the, the, they might get after the heart of some of the struggles that we share together here. Okay, so two common paths that sometimes we go down that that we just need to talk about and and speak about some cautionary um, characteristics we need to consider. So two ways, two common paths of how do we um, uh, uh, cleanse that appetite for God, how do we connect to God at, at a regular basis. Number one, that first of all, there's an inner reflection of the soul that withdraws from corrupting influences of the world. There's a an inner reflection of the soul that wants to withdraw from corrupting influences of the world. And so, when people try to figure out how do I connect to God, one of the things we think about is well, because the world is bad, I need to withdraw from that and I need to find it within myself. Um, a fullness of self-realization. I need to do self-reflection. I need to do self-assessment. I need to find the true peace within myself and pull away from what the world has to offer. Um, One of the realities that we see is much, not all, but let's just say some to make it easy. There is some popular Christian literature that just plays into this field that we have, and that is that that the best way for you to connect to God on a regular basis will be for you to, to pull back from the corruption of the world and find, and, and the center of your satisfaction is when you find out who you really are that your identity is the aim, that this is the biggest thing that you need to get a hold of is finding out who you are. And all energy should be moved toward, how do I find out who I really am? And that self-assessment that I kind of become the center of the spiritual universe, and God almost serves as a, an accessory to my experience, which, which we're going to talk about in a minute. It's not unlike in the Greek mythology. There was a, a guy named Narcissus, N-A-R-C-I-S-S-U-S, And it's a mythological creature, Um, and he was so enamored with his own self, so enamored with his own beauty or strength or handsomeness. I don't know what you call a guy who looks good, all right? He was, what I don't know if a guy can call another guy beautiful, but, you know, whatever, right? So Narcissus was a hunter in Greek mythology and a a handsome man, and his... uh, uh, he, he was so consumed with himself that he didn't really like anyone around him because they failed to meet up to the standards that he had. And so he really had very few friends. And, and one day one of his um, acquaintances named Nemesis drew him into the woods and, and drew him right into a, a lake. And there in the reflection of the lake, Narcissus saw himself. And he thought he was staring at the most beautiful creature in the world. And so he stayed there and actually ended up dying there because he wouldn't leave this creature that he saw was so beautiful, which indeed was himself. And so we get the term narcissism from this Greek mythological tale, and that's the idea of narcissism, of being so consumed with the inner beauty of ourselves that we, the world kind of turns inward on us. And this perspective of how we connect with God can be kind of a spiritual narcissism, meaning that the world um, really revolves around myself and my self-realization and finding my self-fulfillment in all of, in all of things that, that are to come. Now, put it this way, um, Eugene Peterson wrote about this because this is some of the just default struggles that spirituality can have. Eugene Peterson writes it this way, "'Spirituality is always in danger of self-absorption, of becoming so intrigued with matters of soul that God is treated as a mere accessory to my experience.'" That there can be this, this uh, within our desire and our pursuit to connect with God, there can be this overemphasis, uh, this great concern on putting all things of the world aside so that I can just focus on myself and my spiritual connection to God where I become and my experience becomes the most important reality of how I connect to God. And Peterson says this is just kind of the nature of spirituality. This is one of the paths that we can take. Okay? So number one, there's this inner reflection of the soul that withdraws from corrupting influences of the world, and and we want to press against that and be careful of the the dangers of that. Secondly, there's this concept that there's an emphasis on sinning less. In other words, the the way to connect to God and the way to find satisfaction with God and to find peace is I just need to sin less when we do enough self-reflection, we know how bad we really are. We don't need anyone else to tell us, right? You don't need anyone else to tell you the, the temptations that you have. You don't need anyone to tell you really where you're failing as a husband or a wife or as a man or a woman. I mean, maybe you do sometimes, but by and large, we generally know some of the things that we should work on ideally, and we already know how bad we are. And so the best way to connect to God is simply don't do the bad stuff. And your connection with God can degenerate into, okay, certainly God must be more pleased with me when I don't do certain things than when I do. And, and your spiritual experience just becomes a collection of, oh, I didn't this week, I didn't this week, I didn't this week, I didn't this week. And it never becomes a matter of joy, fulfillment, or life. It just becomes a matter of whoever sins the less wins. And then we need one another as a measuring stick. Ah, that person fell into that sin, I didn't. So I'm sinning less than they are, therefore I must be more connected to God. And so there can be this path that we take of... If I only sin less, I'll be more connected to God. If I only sin less, I'll be more connected to God. And that also has its danger. And so let's talk about both of these together in this way. I want to share with you a couple of thoughts from a couple guys. First um, is a guy named Barry Jones. Um, I actually went to seminary with him, and he's now written a book called Dwell, which um, is very helpful in framing up some of my thoughts here for this morning. So here's what Barry, I guess I have to call him Dr. Jones, as I have a, um, a slide of his up here. So I'm going to call him Dr. Jones. He wrote this. Of course, the quest for wholeness and holiness are legitimate pursuits. In other words, the desire to connect with God is right, Patterns of growth in wholeness and holiness are vital to any robust vision of Christian spirituality, meaning that we should want wholeness and holiness. It is right to think about where should I sin less, okay? It is right to think about how do I connect to God. It is right to have some moments of self-reflection. Those are all good things. What I'm suggesting, and he says this, is that when these emphases are elevated to the place of prominence that they sometimes receive, the result can be a truncated vision of Christian spirituality, meaning that when, when those focuses, my wholeness, my fullness, my lack of sin becomes the prominent thing that I think about, then I have a small view and a limited view of what Christian spirituality really is. In other words, I may not be connecting to the God that I should be connecting to. He writes this, One that is more concerned with getting us out of the world and the world out of us rather than leading us into the world for the sake of the world. And that to me is a very critical statement that he makes. That our our emphasis on Christian spirituality that focuses on me and my self-realization and self-actualization as a center of the universe and that I must sin less in order to be connected to God actually can can pull us out of the world and try to get the world out of us rather than leading us into the world for the sake of the world. Do you see the difference between the two? Do you see the difference between the two? One pulls us out of the world to try to make us the center of the universe so that we can sin less and be pleasing to God. And another view might say we need to step into the world for the sake of the world, which are two completely different ways of thinking about how do we connect to God and how do we relate spiritually. Uh, David Gushy or Goshi wrote a little more um, direct about this, little, maybe a little more poignant, a little more clear, and he wrote this. A socially disengaged spirituality is inconceivable and inexcusable. Just me and Jesus growing closer all the time while the world suffers outside of my field of vision is a way of being Christian that can flow only from cloistered privilege. And that one can hurt a little bit. That one can hurt a little bit. This view of spirituality that is just me and Jesus while the world suffers outside of my field of vision, can only come from cloistered privilege. Meaning that, that the only way that that can be something that we embrace is if we cloister or cut ourselves off from the rest of the world and live with plenty of means, plenty of resources that we don't ever need anybody at all. A very um, narcissistic view of spirituality. So the question is, how do we connect to God? How in the world do we connect with God to find peace. And two warnings for us. Number one, one, we want to be careful that we don't move too far in to spiritual narcissism, where our connection with God becomes this matter of, um, I need to be spiritually pure. I need to focus on the self-realization and self-actualization of who I am before God. And number two, that it just becomes a matter of sinning less. The less sin that I do, the, the better it becomes. Because it does not allow us to step into the world for the sake of the world, but rather pulls us out and makes us part of the cloistered privileged ones. And so the question is, what does this actually look like then? All right, what does it look like? If we want to connect to God, what are some thoughts of how we connect with God to find shalom, to find peace and, and fullness and fulfillment? And here's what I want to suggest to you this morning, that the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God, God's Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the third member of the Trinity, is a critical piece of us in understanding what the Spirit of God does is absolutely critical to living daily life, moving toward shalom, fullness, and completeness. That while Jesus secures it for us, our experience daily of walking in connection with God becomes a matter of learning to walk by the Spirit of God and trusting the Spirit of God in a way that we need to have some conversation about and flesh out a little bit this morning. So this morning, instead of having you turn to a few passages, I'm going to actually post some up here, um, and you can write some of these down if you'd like, or whatever you do with that, that stuff, but uh, I'm not going to have you turn in your Bible this morning just because of the number of passages I want to get to, but I want to begin at a broad level here with Galatians 5, because Paul writes in Galatians 5, both in verse 16 and 25, he says, So I say, live by the Spirit. And then later on in verse 25, he says, Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. These are broad terms. I say live by the Spirit, and since we live by the Spirit, let's keep in step with the Spirit. And in this section, he talks, he compares um, the fruit of the flesh to the fruit of the Spirit, basically. And the fruit of the Spirit is, as some of you know, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. That those things actually are not engineered by us. In other words, I can't put them on the calendar and say, I want to become more loving, I want to become more joyful. They're actually results of living by the Spirit. You walk and live by the Spirit, and those things come because of the Spirit. So the question becomes for us, what does it mean to live by the Spirit of God? What does that actually mean? And it can be very confusing because in church, by and large, we don't spend a lot of time in conversation about the Spirit of God. And there's confusion about what does, that, what does the Spirit do and who is the Spirit of God and how does it even work. In the time we have, we can't do a full, uh, full you know, discussion on that. But we will talk in some ways that I hope are very helpful to you in thinking particularly about arriving in Shalom and what does this look like for us. And so, first of all, what does the Spirit do and what does it mean to have life by the Spirit? And that becomes the question that I want to talk to you about this morning. I want to suggest three things that describe um, the characteristic of life by the Spirit and what that means to to have life by the Spirit of God. So first of all, um, life by the Spirit, the Spirit shows us, especially in the hardest of times, that the message of Jesus is true. The Spirit of God shows us, especially in the hardest of times, that the message of Jesus is true. Uh, this may um, be surprising to you to start here, but here's what we read in John chapter 15, verse 26. When the counselor comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. John 15:26. that the spirit of God, his role is going to be to testify or to tell about the truth of Jesus. In First Corinthians 12, verse 3, we read here, Therefore I tell you that no one who is speaking by the spirit of God says Jesus be cursed and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Pretty significant verse. No one can say Jesus be cursed or Jesus is Lord except no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now if that's true, here's what that means. That in your greatest struggle and in your greatest time of doubt and fear when your faith holds, all right? When you say, yep, Jesus is still true, okay, cancer is in my family, the gospel of Jesus is still true, okay, a friend of mine died unexpectedly, the gospel of Jesus is still true, all right, my marriage is not at all what I thought it would be like 10 years ago, but here we are, the gospel of Jesus is still true, that I still should as a husband do this still as a wife should do this, that as we live and as we are pressed into the greatest of trials that are going to want to push out faith, when the answer comes back in in the innermost part of your being that, okay, the gospel of Jesus is still true, that is not you pulling up enough resolve to say, now in my humanness, I'm going to resolve to have faith. That is, according to 1 Corinthians 12 and John 15, that is the Spirit of God at work in you, telling you, reminding you that the gospel, the message of Jesus is actually true. This is the voice of the Spirit saying, yes, Jesus still is worth believing that shalom or peace or fullness, while it seems like it's best found by giving up on the Christian faith right now, it seems like it's best to do that. I'm reminding you that the gospel of Jesus is still actually true, that especially in the hardest of times... The Spirit testifies to the innermost part of who you are that Jesus is still worth believing in. And this is part of what the Spirit of God does. It's not just that you're, you have the ability to do this, it's not that just that you would think that walking away from faith would mean that my family would disown me or I'd lose my business or people would, just would think I'm, I'm foolish, all right? I mean, that may go through your mind, but at the end of the day, The reality is no one can say Jesus is Lord except through the power of the Spirit. This is the work of the Spirit of God in you to push you back to the gospel of Jesus. It's not just about my resolve or your resolve to hold on to a faith. It's beyond our ability to hold on to alone. So this is the first quality or characteristic of what the Spirit of God does. Secondly, the Spirit helps us um, experience a quality of eternal life in the present life. The Spirit of God allows us to experience a quality of eternal life in the present. Uh, And this is so important to understand. I want to just share a couple passages and talk about it for a minute. In John chapter 6, and then in Romans 8, John chapter 6, we read there that the Spirit gives life, the flesh counts for nothing, the words I have spoken to you are spirit and they are life. So the question is, what kind of life is it? And it's in the context of eternal life that we're talking about. Romans 8, 1 to 2, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. So in the present world, there's a law that we know exists of sin and death. Everybody dies at some point. We just know that. That's a law of nature. You want to call it that? The Spirit sets us free from that law. The Spirit sets us free and reminds us, and it breaks that law for us, that the Spirit of life has set me free from the law of sin and death because through what Christ did, the law of the Spirit now is setting me free from the law of sin and death. Meaning that there are qualities of eternal life that we should begin to experience in the present, and we do. And every time that we experience a quality of eternal life in the present, we have to say, all right, there's a work of the Spirit involved here. Meaning, when you are looking almost anywhere around you and you see, let's just call this term brokenness. When you see brokenness around you and you do something to help bring fullness or restoration or hope, this is a quality of eternal life that you're bringing into the present. So, for example, uh, you know of Thanksgiving time there are families that were hungry, Is that a quality of life that we should expect to experience eternally? No. Will there be hunger eternally? No. According to the Bible, no. No one will be hungry in eternity. And so what we do in response to a quality of life in the present that we look at and say that's wrong... That shouldn't be happening because that will not happen eternally. The Spirit of God brings to us the reminder that, hey, this is wrong, and it pricks our conscience to say this is wrong. Because hunger, while in the present, will not happen in the future. The Spirit of God breaks the law of sin and death for us and brings not just a hope for a future, but brings the quality of a future life into the present. Therefore, let's feed people. Let's get meals together. Because we're bringing a quality of eternal life to the present. People need to eat. They're thirsty. And in doing that, we're essentially fixing brokenness, fixing the brokenness of the present with the hope of the future. This is why when you see someone um, you know, broken over what we might call a premature death or, or something like that, okay, cancer that has gotten somebody or an accident that has taken somebody's life, that we see tears and we see uh, angst and we see tension and we know this isn't the way life is supposed to be. And the Spirit of God helps us say, okay, this is not the way it's supposed to be, so what do I do about that in the present? So it takes qualities of eternity and brings it into the present. And the Spirit of God helps us see if we're willing to, around us, people who are hurting and need a card, need a hug, need a coffee date or a lunch date or need a Facebook post or an email or a phone call or a letter or note to bring to them encouragement of hope and life and joy that is a quality of eternal life that is missing right now in the present. And so the Spirit of God helps us see if we walk by the Spirit where we can bring the quality, not just the, the hope to live forever, but the quality of eternal life into the present. This is what the Spirit does. Now, thirdly, the Spirit of God, and this is our, just our third point here this morning, that the Spirit helps us become more like Jesus in, in the simplest way. In Galatians four nineteen, um, Paul is writing there, he's saying, I'm in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. And then 2 Corinthians 3, 18, he writes about being transformed into his image, into Christ's image, which he writes comes from the Spirit, okay? The, the Spirit of God, for those who have believed in Jesus, is at work in transforming us into the likeness of Jesus. And so let's talk about what that means on a daily basis, too. Um, several months or maybe even a year ago, I read an article. It was very interesting from uh, John Ortberg's wife. Some of you may know John Ortberg. Some of you have studied his material in our Sunday school class together. And uh, she recounted an an example of, uh, she said, this is what it's like to be married to a a guy who's a thinker and a writer and reflective. Um, She said, I I don't connect to God that way at all. (laughs) She's like, I my husband, John, is a great writer, and he's written a bunch of devotional stuff and good books and teachings and all that. And he will connect with God um, at you know, six in the morning in, their, um, in the den with a cup of coffee and the, the, the lamp on, maybe some fireplace thing going on back there and just kind of the quiet reprise of pullback. So one day, she said, we went out on the coast of California. We went on a, uh, a fishing expedition. I could not wait, she said. We were out there. It was a beautiful day. It was sunny, and it was, a, it was an amazing day. And there were, um, I guess, kite surfers or whatever going by. I mean, there was a lot of activity on the, on the water. Um, and she said, I was thinking to myself, this is amazing. Like, look at the world that God has made. And she said, my soul is stirred within me. I'm just overwhelmed by how powerful and amazing God is. And meanwhile, I look over, and my husband, John, who connects with God, in his way is thrown up on the side of the boat, you know. <laughs> He is not connecting with God at all, right? I mean, he, he is not in this moment of sweet spot, you know, how, how is God working in the universe? He's just barfing. He's done on the side of the boat, all right? And so here's the deal. Jesus, when we think about how do we connect with Jesus, when we think about spirituality, we can, by default, begin to think it's all about just pulling back in the quiet repose of, of the moment that someone like a John Orberg might have in the quietness of his own den. And we value that, and we say, oh, certainly, we just got to pull back from life and do that. And we have to ask the question, is that what Jesus did? And so she wrote this article, John Ortberg's wife, she wrote an article entitled, Jesus Didn't Journal. <laughs> an interesting article. An interesting article and a little thought-provoking, okay? Jesus did not journal, is what Jesus didn't journal. And her point was that, that there's a variety of ways to connect to God. And in the bigger picture, we have to ask, what does it mean to be conformed to the likeness of Jesus? Jesus was not a monk, right, who pulled away from life and went away to study the things of God in a monastery. Was it? I mean, we just know that. It's just not who he was. And so if we're going to be conformed to the likeness of Jesus, we have to ask, in what ways then... Do I incarnationally, big word there, incarnationally step into the messiness and the stuff of life that is right in front of us? It's not just about who journals the best and who's best at pulling back and thinking about God the best in the the narcissistic tendencies of just overly um, spiritual quietness, but rather what does it mean actually to be like Jesus? And and the bigger question then is how does the Spirit of God help with that? And, And has Jesus given us any ideas of what that looks like? And so the point here is that the Spirit helps us be conformed to the likeness of Jesus, and one of the biggest realities we know is that Jesus is full-on involved in the mission of God with the people that he interacts with, and that he moves into places that need hope and help in a very tangible, consistent way. And here's what he'll say to his disciples in Acts 1.8. He'll say this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. He references the Spirit of God and says, As disciples, as followers of mine, you will receive the power that you need to do what you need to do from the Spirit of God. And what I need you to do is to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria and the ends of the earth. I don't need you to pull back in quiet repose. I don't need you to, to step away from the world. I, I need you to step into the world and do the kinds of things incarnationally relationship on relationship, that I'm doing. And I'm going to give you the Spirit of God to give you the power to do that. This is where the Spirit of God comes into play. And so we talk about the power of the Spirit. One of the clarifications we need to make is brought out well by a New Testament scholar, N.T. Wright. N.T. Wright writes this, all right? He says, despite what you might think from some excitement in the previous generation about new spiritual experiences, God doesn't give people the Holy Spirit in order to let them enjoy the spiritual equivalent of a day at Disneyland. Now, he continues, of course, if you're downcast and gloomy, the fresh wind of God's Spirit can and often does give you a new perspective on everything. And above all, grants a sense of God's presence, comfort, uh, love, comfort, and even joy. And I think you probably have experienced that, that the Spirit of God does bring a sense of God's love, comfort, and even joy. Then he goes on to write this, But the point of the Spirit is to enable those who follow Jesus to take into all the world the news that he is Lord, that he has won the victory over the forces of evil, and that a new world has opened up, and that we are to help make it happen. The point of the Spirit is to help us move into the world. The power of the Spirit is given to help us move into the world with that message of hope and life, with the quality of eternal life to bring into all the brokenness of the world that we see. This is the role of the Spirit, the power of the Spirit to come. So let me me just talk about the so what. So what does this mean for us as we think daily? So what? Number one, we all want to connect with God, and what if you are without realizing it? What if you are without realizing it? In other words, what if... You already have have um, been empowered by the Spirit of God in ways that you haven't even realized. What if, as I mentioned earlier, the Spirit of God in John uh, six, Jimmy uh, John fifteen, um, is is uh, testifying to you, telling you, reminding you that the story of Jesus is true, that the gospel message is true. I, there's so many of you I know who have kind of pushed right up to the edge of struggle and trial and, and uh, temptation and, 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 and trouble and, and come back and said, you know what, if I leave this, what else is there? <laughs> There's the gospel message is true, and as hard as it is, I need that. My belief is, biblically, that according to 1 Corinthians 12 and, and, and John 6, that, th- that that is the work of the Spirit at work in you when you face the most especially difficult times and you're actually still with us, all right? And you're actually still believing. You're actually still holding on to this crazy hope of a God-man who died and came back to life. And you still hold on to that truth. But that, I believe, is the Spirit of God already at work within you, and we need to acknowledge that and see that. The Spirit of God is at work to testify about the truth of Jesus. It's just part of the reality. Number two, I want us to be careful of spiritual narcissism. I want us to be careful, and I think I've already kind of communicated that this morning, um, and by that I mean, I want us to be careful of paths that connect to God or that, that promote connecting to God that really are all about us focusing on, on, on who we are and the betterment of ourselves and, and the self being the center of our experience. That really, um, spiritual narcissism will say, as long as you have a, a good worship experience, um, it kind of doesn't matter what God is or what he does, but as long as you feel like things are going well, you know, good for you. Um, and pulling away from investment of people around you, you know, seeing trouble and struggle that your coworkers have, but kind of being hesitant to step into that because they do things that I wouldn't really promote, and so I'm kind of trying to keep myself pure and ethical and right before God because it's about sinning less, and so I can't really be corrupted by the influences of the world. I just want us to be aware of and careful of spiritual narcissism that that absorbs uh, our emphasis really into ourselves, and we just want us to be careful about that. It is right, okay? It is right uh, for, for periods of self-reflection, okay? Let me, let me say that. It is right to have the Spirit of God search us and know us and test us and, and see our thoughts. It is right to have times of quietness and reflection. It is right to have those times where we are, um, are, are still before God and we listen to and learn from God in that way. Those are right and good. In in balance, okay? In balance. This is not all there is to spirituality. It is right to think about sinning less, all right? I mean it's right to think about obedience and transformation, but it it becomes out of balance when we Lay that against God and say, Now he's going to be pleased with me more. And now I've proven myself to him because that really is not a path to joy in life. It's a path to to shame and guilt and ultimately to to death. right? So, those two things. Now, the third thing is this how can I get a hold of this? uh, Let me encourage you to ask some key questions. You think specifically about what does shalom look like um, now? How do I connect to God now? Uh, Two key questions in particular that I think about for you. Uh, Number one, uh, what um, what will eternity be like? If you if you could actually take some time to imagine what would eternity actually be like, not not just I get to live with God forever, but actually what what are the qualities of that? And You start to think about uh, there's there's hope, there's joy, there's life, there's no hunger, there's no thirst, there's no pain, sadness, sorrow. All those things are gone. So begin to think, okay, what will eternity be like? Because the Spirit of God comes to bring us life. As we walk by the Spirit, he brings us, he, he, through Christ has broken the law of sin and death. And the next question on the back end of what will eternity be like is how can I help bring that quality of life to the people around me today? How, how can I help? Who around me right now, who around me right now needs hope? Who around me right now needs joy? Who around me right now is hungry? Who around me right now is thirsty? Who around me right now is not getting an education the way they should be getting an education? Who around me right now is being abused physically, emotionally, or, or any other way? Who around me right now is experiencing the brokenness that sin brings because in my life, the Spirit of God has come to bring life. And walking by the Spirit and trusting the Spirit means that I have an opportunity, if not obligation, to bring to the world around me Right? The quality of eternal life that otherwise wouldn't be here. This is why, at a broad level, this is why we even are involved in things like the Together Initiative. Okay? This is why when we look around, we see when there's brokenness around in this community, where do we need to plug in to help? Because there's a quality of eternal life that we want to bring and kind of lay over top of this community. Because this is what we believe that the community of faith in God should lead into, should lead into a vision of bringing the quality of eternal life into the present life in as much as we can. The Spirit of God teaches us that, leads us into that with courage and with faith to to do that. And how do I find shalom? How do I connect with God? This is all a part of that equation. So I say, Paul writes in Galatians 5, live by the Spirit. Live by the Spirit. And then he goes on to say the fruit of the Spirit or the result of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And so I say, he writes, walk by the Spirit, walk by the Spirit, trust the Spirit of God. And part of that, a big part of that is saying, if I want to connect to God, it's not just about me and Jesus pulling away from the world and separating myself. A big part of that is saying, I've been given power by the Spirit of God, to step into the world where I find myself, to step into my work relationships, into my family, into my community. I've been given the power of God to do this. And wherever I see brokenness, here is my chance to bring fullness to people around me. Here is my chance to step into a relationship with God. Here is my chance for the fruit of the Spirit to work in me that I can develop greater empathy, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and goodness. At a very practical level, some of you may or may not know that we actually have what we call a missional fund here at Grace Point Church. We have $3,000 that we have waiting for you to spend. Meaning we want to empower you to see in your community, to see in your neighbors, to see in your co-workers. We want to empower you to say, okay, if I see a need, it's not something the church might see. It's not something that may the township might see or our business leaders might see at a broad level, but I see it at a personal level and I want to help meet that. This family needs something done with their home. This family needs something done with their housing. This family needs something done with, with food. I need to, to have people over to my house, right, to, to, to provide a place of relationship and connection and encouragement of people, and I don't really have the resources to do it. We don't want money to be a problem for you in living out the mission of God in your community. And so all that we say is, hey, have a conversation with either myself or a member of our missions team. And let's talk about how can we help resource you because you see needs that we don't all see. And this is all part of living by the Spirit of God. And so we encourage you to look around and see the people who you work with, who you connect with, who you're in relationship with, and say, there's a need. And I want to bring a quality of eternal life into the present. So let me have a conversation with Tim. Let me talk to him because I need 500 bucks. I don't know where to get it. You know, if I had $200 for this, we could do it. We have a missional fund, we call that, that is geared up and ready to do that kind of thing. At the end of the day, my hope for you and me is that this appetite that we have for connecting with God, that desiring to be near him and desiring to figure out how do I experience God is not just found in a quiet, reclusive, pulling back from the things of the world, but is deeply involved in stepping into the opportunity to become more like jesus to become more and more like him to step into the world that we see not to step back from it and this is part of the power of god the power of the spirit of god equipping us to do these very things next week we're going to talk about one more aspect of shalom or arriving and that is how in the world do we get along with one another that should be fun let's carry that next week. Let's pray together, guys. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity this morning to be together and to see uh, in another way how um, the Spirit of God is at work in this world and is at work within the Christian community. I pray that you would give us as men and women courage uh, to do the things that we know are in front of us to do. Give us insight and wisdom to uh, see our co-workers, our friends, our neighbors in a fresh way. Help us to... Uh, to think beyond just sinning less and think beyond just um, uh, coming to a sense of greater identity and who I am and, and only thinking of ourselves and help us to move past that while still considering some parts of personal growth, but help us to move into further, how do we serve those right around us through the Spirit of God and the power of the Spirit of God together. And so I pray that you'd give us the courage, the wisdom, and the insight to know how to do that well. And so Father, we we pray for that, we ask for that, and we trust you with what you will do when we pray this in Jesus' name.